Father, I pray once again that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't think I'll ever forget that, that moment sitting in one of the doctor of ministry courses in the classroom. And uh, there were 24 pastors, and we were with our professor, and we were talking about a passage of Scripture. I don't remember the exact passage of Scripture we were talking about. But in the course of discussing this, one of, the, one of my colleagues in the class said, well, I just don't think we ought to be focusing our attention on God's rewards. I think that, that there are far better things that we need to be thinking about. And a professor, Haddon Robinson, sort of sat up taller in his chair, and he pointed his finger at that guy, and we all sort of went, whoa. And he said, listen, don't ever diminish the rewards that God has promised. I've never forgotten that. And since that moment, I've had this thought going through my mind about how to reconcile that. Because here's the honest truth. I like being rewarded. I, I like being rewarded. I suspect you like being rewarded, if we're honest. I like doing things and people acknowledging that. I like doing things and finding some kind of, of, of something that comes to me out of it. It's human nature to, to like being rewarded. And I suspect we all have that same feeling. But when it comes to our relationship with God, it doesn't feel very altruistic. I think something in the back of our minds is thinking, well, we need a better motivation for following God. We ought to have a more mature motivation for following God. And actually, we should just sort of forget the rewards of God and just do it because it's good and it's right. And in a perfect world, maybe that's the case. But what I find interesting is that when you read the scriptures, Human beings aren't the ones that initiate the rewards that God promises. God is the one that initiates them. And I know that there's something in the back of our minds that's, and so that, that says that it feels a little mercenary to focus our attention on the rewards of God. And, and that can certainly be the case. But I think there is an element of the myth that I'm thinking about today is that this myth that says we should, we should ignore the rewards of God and we shouldn't worry about rewards when it comes to following God. And while there's truth to that, there's also a part of it that's troublesome. Think about some of the promises of God. And just a couple of them jumped to my mind. In Hebrews 11, it says, It's impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. To Abraham, God says in a vision, he says, Don't be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. God is the one that initiates all of the rewards, not us. God is not like the other gods of the ancient Near East or around Israel that have to beg and plead and trick and cajole their gods into doing good things for them. God's the one who initiates it. 
I love the fact that in this psalm, David keeps asking God to give to him, to do things for him. He says, here, listen, pay attention to me, bend down, listen to my prayers, show me your wonderful ways, guard me, hide me, protect me, arise, stand against my enemies, bring them to their knees, rescue me, satisfy the hunger of your treasured ones. David is not afraid to ask God to do what God has said he will do, and it the fact that God prays that implies that David, the fact that David prays that implies that God will do it. Why would you ask for things if you have no sense that they, could, they would ever be given to you? But David does. Now, part of our problem when we think about rewards or blessings, whatever word we want to use, part of our problem is I think we get confused about what it means for God to reward us or to bless us. We tend to concentrate our attention on the temporal things. Now, there's a whole system of theology that says, you know when you're right with God by the fact that you have wealth and you have health and you have all the material blessings and, and things of this world. And sometimes I think we can say God does allow us to have those things. But that, and that gets, but when people start saying that's the sign of God's grace to you and that's the sign of God's blessing to you and that's the sign, that's the, that's the extent of everything God wants for you, then yes, that becomes a problem. Part of our issue is, quite frankly, we tend to gravitate toward wanting the temporal. We like temporal blessings and there's a place where we need temporal blessings but that can occupy us and enamor us there's a reason why so many people follow that kind of theology that says if you're, you're if you prosper then that's a sign that God is blessing you but the reality is God's richest blessings are not temporal they're eternal but we get caught up in the temporal we gravitate toward the temporal. We can measure it. We can see it. And God says, but I have so much more than that. Why would we think that God's greatest blessings are things that Jesus says are going to disappear someday? That they can be stolen from us, that they can be destroyed and, and rust. And, and he goes on and on in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount to say, all of these things that we put so much value on can be gone in a moment. Those are not the greatest blessings of God. The blessings of God, the rewards of God are so much bigger, so much more. They're eternal. David says here in the 14th verse, he says, By the power of your hand, O God, destroy those who look to this world for their reward. And that's part of our problem. What happens when we start looking for our rewards in this world is that we start grabbing everything. David writes this psalm because enemies are coming after him, and they are saying, we want what David has. We want the rewards of this world, and we will fight to get it. And that's part of our struggle. When our attention is focused on the temporal, then everything about life is about the temporal. And that's why we wrestle sometimes with 
grabbing for things. That's why we try to hoard things. That's why we, we have to be right about everything and why we have people have, we have, want people to make sure that they know we're right about everything. And we fight and, and we struggle to, for worth and significance because we think it's in the temporal. And all the while, God is saying, I have so much more for you. So much bigger, so much greater. This is the problem that Jesus addresses in Matthew 6 when he talks about fasting and prayer and giving. And he says to the religious people, he says to his disciples about the religious people, he says, look, you, you see them. And they fast and they make sure everybody knows how, how much they're fasting. And they pray and they make sure everyone knows how wonderful their prayers are. And they give and they make sure everybody knows how much they're giving. And he says, they have gotten their reward. Temporal. They're going to get that. People are going to be impressed. And they're going to say, wow, aren't they wonderful? They're going to get that, but that's all they're going to get. But I want you to understand that your relationship with your Heavenly Father is so much bigger and deeper and eternal. You can sort of see then why, why this myth can lead us to, to being ungrateful to God. If the myth is we ought to just ignore the rewards of God and, and do things for much better reasons than that, then our whole mindset is we want to distance ourselves from the blessings that God may want to give us. We can't help but being ungrateful for all the things God might be doing. And Boskamp says that it may well be that the first sin that Adam and Eve commit is rooted in ingratitude. Here God has given them the whole garden, everything, except for the one tree, and all they can see is the one tree. And that's the serpent's temptation to them. The serpent's temptation to Adam and Eve is, well, God's given you a lot of good stuff, but this tree, this is the prime stuff. This is the really big, good, great stuff. And God doesn't want you to have that. Yeah, he'll throw you a few a few things every so often, but, but he's the kind of God who's always withholding the really good stuff. Just eat the fruit and you'll see. And we have been wrestling with that temptation ever since. That God withholds. That God doesn't want to give us blessings. That God doesn't want to, to reward us with awesome things that blow our minds. But God is stingy. Maybe it's because we, you know, we, have a, we tend to have an, uh, a, a, an issue with projecting onto other people. This is what we feel, so they probably feel the same thing. And maybe the reason we think God is stingy is, quite frankly, because we are. But he's not. See, I think one of our fears is that this whole idea of the blessings of God and, and the rewards of God and the things that God's promised us, it, we're afraid maybe that we're going to turn into manipulating God or coercing God or, or controlling God. But the reality is we might think we can manipulate or coerce or control God, but we can't. God cannot be manipulated. And he cannot be coerced. And he cannot be controlled. We don't have to manipulate or coerce or control God for him to do good things for us. 
God is love, and God is always loving, and God is always good. He can do no other. It's who he is. Tim Keller says in his book about the, that he calls the prodigal God, it's the story of the prodigal son, he says that when you get to the end of that story, and you think about the fact that both brothers, how they've treated their father, rejected the father, wanting the father really to be dead, speak condescendingly toward the father. And he says, all of their negative behavior toward the father doesn't change the father's attitude or mindset toward them one iota. Despite their behavior, the father is still love. And God is with us. And he wants to pour out blessings on us that are so much more than we could dream or imagine. And the problem here is not that, it's not with God, it's with us. The problem is not that we have to beg God to give us good things. The problem is God has to beg us to receive them. I think sometimes it, it may feel like, you know, when, when you have a, a, a puppy that you're training, and uh, every time, you know, they roll over or they speak or they sit, you, you give them a treat. And, and, you, and you do that and you reward them that way. And sometimes it can feel like, well, that's, that's how God is with us. He's rewarding us for something we do. As if, and, and, the, and the dog is saying, in their mind, I think the dog is saying, if I do this, then this person there will give me something I want. The reality is, is God is offering us good all the time. He's just trying to convince us that it's good and we should take it and trust him for it. It, it also makes me think about the, the thing that parents look forward to, maybe as much as anything about being a parent. That moment of parenthood when you go through the ritual of potty training. You know, if you've ever had to do that, you know that it's, it's just the highlight of your life as a parent, right, to deal with that. And there are probably as many ways to do that, theories that people have, as there are children to train. But it seems to me that most of that, when, most of the training involves some kind of reward, know, an M&M or a cookie or, I don't know, a piece of candy. I do find it interesting that it's all sweets. I've not yet heard of anybody who trained their child by using broccoli. I, I just don't see that as being an incentive, right? But, but they, the children do that, and they get their M&M. But here's the thing. The goal of that is to get to the point where they don't need that anymore, right? I mean, it would be a little strange if you see a high school kid get done and you say, here, where's my M&M? We don't, it's not the point. And, and, the, and I think sometimes we think that's how God is with us. Okay, God will reward us until we get to a certain point, and then he's really wanting to wean us away from that. As if God is saying, I'm so sick and tired of giving good things to these people. 
I'm so sick and tired of, of, of acknowledging the, the good that they might do. I'm so sick and tired of, of pouring out blessings on them, getting on my last nerves. Stop asking. Right? There's something in the back of our minds that sort of thinks that God is like that. Maybe it's, again, because we're sort of like that. But that's not our Heavenly Father. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, Jesus loves, the Father loves to give good gifts to his children. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And it's not because we deserve it. There's not a one of us that deserves it. If we're honest, we know we don't deserve it. But God gives. Because he loves to give. And if we could just grasp that, I think it would change our perspective and our relationship with God, and we would trust him so much more. I think it's important for us to, to know this, particularly when we are facing difficult times of life. David is facing a difficult time in his life. As he writes this psalm, his enemies are attacking him. They are squeezing him, pushing him, trying to eliminate him. And he cries out to God in honesty. I remember Eugene Peterson reading something from him one time years ago that he said there's a sense in which the Psalms are our spiritual journal journal of God's people and I've, I've, I've always loved that because it helps me to understand some of the things in, in the Psalms and the brutal honesty of the people who write the Psalms that sometimes embarrasses us but you write in a journal your honest feelings, your honest thoughts and David cries out to God here honestly, openly and God is okay with that. And here's the thing. You only are brutally honest with people you trust. We're only honest with people that we believe love us, want what's best for us, and we can trust them. They may help us walk through the things that we're wrestling with and may need to challenge us, but always it comes from a heart of love and what's best for us. And I think that's what David does and the writers of the Psalms is they understand who God is in such a way that they are completely honest with him. And they trust him because they believe God is good. And he's gracious and he's merciful. And the question that keeps confronting us is, do we believe that? But here's what we have to ultimately understand. That ultimately, the rewards, the promises, the blessings of God are God himself. And that is the ultimate gift of God, is himself. In the Garden of Eden, the reason it's paradise is not because it's such a beautiful place and it's not because they are able to, to do work and it's fruitful and, and everything is, is pristine about it. What makes it paradise is the intimacy they have with God. 
And the greatest thing that the most the great deepest consequence of their sin is not the fact that they will have to work and toil and, and it will be much harder than it was. And even the relationship breakdown between the human beings, as terrible as that is, the greatest consequence is that they leave the garden and the intimacy with God is broken. And that's why the greatest thing God does is to send his son. And God doesn't redeem the world by, by in, from a distance. God redeems the world through the incarnation of becoming one of us, taking on human flesh and being with us. And so David gets to the end of this psalm and he says, in verse 15, I will see you. And when I awake, I will see you face to face and be satisfied. And Jesus says in Luke 11, a different wording of what he says in Matthew 7. But he says, if you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to you? How much more will God give himself to you? And that's why, that's why we can think about rewards. And it's not mercenary. We can think about the blessings of God and it's not taking advantage of God or manipulating God. Because ultimately, what God has promised us is intimacy with himself. And that is the ultimate end of his work in our lives is to make us like himself and to draw us closer and closer to himself that we might know him more and more. The greatest blessings of life are not temporary material things. The greatest blessings of life, the greatest blessing of life is knowing God and being known by him. God is always giving himself to us. And the question is not, does God want to give? The question is, do we want to receive? Can we believe that God is as good as he says he is and beyond? There's a hymn that we sometimes sing that I, I kept coming to my mind this week. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in God's justice, which is more than liberty. But we make God's love too narrow by false limits of our own. And we magnify its strictness with a zeal he will not own. For the love of God is broader and the measure of our minds and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. If we could grasp that, it would change our lives because we would understand who God is 
that he is good and always loving and we can trust him. Father, may that be who we are. People who receive what you desire to give, who see who you are more clearly and trust you. Through the grace of Christ Jesus,